Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Martin Luther was a suave man, but I like this quote from Jerry Seinfeld a little bit better. Seinfeld says, being a good husband is like being a good stand-up comic. You need 10 years before you can even call yourself a beginner. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, and we're so happy you guys are here with us today on uh, hopefully a pretty good episode. But before we dive in, babe, is there anything you would like to say? I just want to say pray for my cousin. She's having her first baby, and um, everything goes smoothly. And our kids have cavities, so pray that stops happening. <laughs> yeah. Yet they swear to us they brush their teeth <clears throat> mm-hmm. diligently every night and every morning. They're confessing things now from, you know, the past. Like, oh, when we lived in this house, I used to not brush my teeth at night. I'm like, so you lied to me for a year and a half about brushing your teeth? But I brushed them in the morning, just not at night. I'm like, Gosh. That is something that gets under my skin. <laughs> like, the older I get, like, I still meet people that are late into their 30s. You know, we'll be, whatever, at work at early morning, and they're like, oh, I didn't even brush my teeth today. Like, how? How do you even get past the first eight <laughs> seconds of being awake before you're like, I have to brush my teeth? I don't get it, um, but pray for our kids so they don't get more cavities. <laughs> uh, I got a prayer request for a buddy named Nick. Uh, he's going through a pretty rough divorce. They are both unbelievers. Um, so, you know, just pray that maybe God can find a, a way to move in this situation, that me and Nikki can maybe be a light to him in this uh, dark time that he's going through. Because, um, you know, not all dark times are really dark times, right? If it ultimately brings you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then it's worth Amen. it in the end. Um, not that anybody should get divorced, but you know, just pray for him. Nick, you could use your prayers. Um, and today is our third and final episode, kind of in our talk on marriage. Uh, so in episode one, we discussed sort of marriage more generally, just good rules that we think you should, you know, consider when you want to just have a good marriage. And um, just for us, I mean, we've been married for 16 years. They've been pretty good 16 years, yeah. I would say. Um, so I feel like we have um, some credit to talk on the topic of marriage, which is why we're talking about it. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not, like, I don't know, maybe we look young. Um, we're not quite as young as we seem. So again, if you're new here and you're maybe checking this episode out for the first time, I like to think we have some credit in the marriage realm. So that's why we're talking about it. First episode <laughs> was just on marriage generally. Um, kind of four simple rules that we think you you could look to to sort of live by to have a good marriage. Episode two, we talked a little bit more about being a godly wife. And uh, Nikki shared a lot on that. It was pretty good. Um, and then today, we're going to kind of wrap this up with being a godly husband. And uh, much like in episode one and two, we're going to hopefully kind of discuss the more biblical aspects of being a godly husband, but then hopefully leave you with some more practical things that you can do mm-hmm. um, to just be a, a godly husband. And then at the end of it, in episode two, we looked at the 1950s Good mm-hmm. Housewife um, article that has shared some tips on being a good housewife. That was pretty funny. 
we kind of went through that and we found one that's sort of a response to that. It's the, uh, like a, a good husband's night. It's like, it was a response to that. It's a response. Tell. So it's a little sarcastic, but we're going to go through yeah. that again, uh, as well and see if there's any truth in that as well. Cause it was kind of <laughs> fun. Um, but before we get to all that, we do want to take a look at the news. Um, and there were a couple of interesting articles that we read on Christianity Today. And then there was also one disgusting article that I read on Yahoo. Guess which one had to do with our politicians? <laughs> the disgusting one. Um, so we'll get to that one first. Um, and so unless you're just a complete dunce or you're a person who, like Nikki, uh, values truth and honesty, uh, you're probably aware that this week marked the one-year anniversary of the most frightful near-civilization collapsing event in American history. That's right. It is the one-year anniversary of the media and politician-driven so-called insurrection uh, in our capital city. So uh, all over the news on the 6th, and uh, all of our cowardly leaders, you know, took, uh, took to the news and social media to go and explain to you how close this country, you know, really was to collapse and just how brave and heroic all of our politicians were for withstanding the D-Day level barrage that was unleashed on Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021. Hmm. So this article comes from Yahoo. It's just one of probably 8 million articles that were written on this, probably all the exact same. So we'll have all these articles yeah. linked. Pick whichever one you want or be smarter and pick none of them and go read your Bible. Um, <laughs> but if you want to read that first story, honey, that first headline. Yeah, uh, it reads, President Biden on Thursday marked the first anniversary of the deadly January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. And you didn't even know what I would be January 6th like, What is he talking about? <laughs> and this is the thing, like, I obviously, I follow the news a little more closely um, than Nikki does. But yeah, like if you watch the news or read these articles, you would have thought this was 9-11 all over again. Mm -hmm. But Nikki, like she lives with me. We talk on a daily basis. Like she didn't even know what January 6th was. She's like, what are you talking about? Insurrection. <laughs> like I had to explain to her like, no, it was kind of a big deal. I don't know why. I mean, I know why. I get why I it remember it now when I was like. So if you're unfamiliar like Nikki, yeah. because you leave, lead a better life than most of us, this was last year, January 6, 2021, a bunch of um, people sort of gathered at the Capitol building. They stormed the Capitol building, you know, broke some windows, went into offices. That was really about it. Um, it's funny because, you know, they write the headline, you know, mm -hmm. the deadly January 6th attack. And, you know, as I was reading yeah. it, I was like, this is obviously like the writer is trying to steer the narrative mm -hmm. and sort of condition your thinking. Because some people just read headlines. Yeah. So you think, oh, man, this huge in insurrection yeah. and this deadly. And it, sure, people died. But really, the only person that I knew of that died was Ashley Babbitt, who is was a five foot two unarmed female who climbed into a window and got shot by a Capitol police officer. There were four other people that died that day, but they all died from like strokes and blood clots. She was the only person murdered. 
that day or killed. I wouldn't say murdered. She was mm-hmm. <laughs> unannounced right. in the Capitol building. Yeah. But I would not necessarily classify that as some massive deadly event. Um, but no, they're trying to condition your uh, thinking in a certain way. And we know Yahoo is definitely not a um, traditional conservative news outlet. Um, but I did read one of the articles and I couldn't find it. I linked to the same article, but they must have updated it throughout the day um, on the 6th. But it read, you know, because President Biden, you know, all the politicians went out and gave their little spiel about whatever it was. And President Biden asked uh, the listeners on a speech to close their eyes. Remember that day. Think about what you saw and what you heard. You know, and then, of course, he went into basically just President Trump bashing. But I wanted to ask you to close your eyes. Think about what you saw and what you heard for the previous five years from a godless, power-hungry political party mm-hmm. that lied, smeared, mm-hmm. stirred up strife in the nation at every turn. The actions taken, even though they were wildly over the top, certainly would not encourage anybody to go storm our Capitol buildings. Um, right. But all of this was for the sake of like these own these politicians, their own mm-hmm. unscrupulous gains. Right. That's why they stirred up the nation. That's why they still do it to they this gotta day. They got to get your emotions. Yeah. It's so that they can gain political power, you know, mm. and they basically drug us through four years of endless lies, defamation, slander, trashing an entire half of this country that ultimately culminated in January 6th. This reminds me of the proverb we were reading the other night, like, don't um, stir up discord and what they do. For their own gain, though. Yeah, you yeah. could literally probably flip to any page in the book of Proverbs and go, yeah, let's <laughs> talk about our politicians. And none of the good stuff most of the time. Um, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned with this, you know, is for just Christians and people that are watching it. And, you know, I think personally, like the politicians, the news media, in my opinion, they fomented this rage, the anger. They're still doing it to this day. Um, and then obviously when it finally boils over shouldn't have happened of course not but then they go and cry about it you know pretend to play the victim Mm -hmm. but the thing is it didn't even affect them it really hasn't affected them i remember the very next day january 7th of 2021 i watched and some congressman went on tv and immediately started talking about how this was a racist attack and you know fomented by white supremacists and you're like here they go again like they're scared to death but they're not going to stop and they're just, they're wicked people. Um, you can tell they're wicked. And I'm not even talking left or right, but all of them. I mean, there's a few good ones up there, but they're a few and far between. And, you know, just the level of anger and hatred, the division that they constantly try to stir up, you just know it's not of God. Yeah. So when you see these politicians standing up there trying to play the hero, but tearing the country apart at the same time, they're wicked people. Um, yeah. Proverbs. So you mentioned again. yeah the proverbs. So <laughs> I brought just two quick proverbs, baby. If you want to read the first one, sure. Proverbs four fourteen through seventeen says, "Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble." They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. That sums up Washington, D.C. in a nutshell. Uh, 
um, if you want to just read the next one, and these both come from Proverbs 4. Mm-hmm. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your, keep your foot from evil. Yeah, and, you know, this man, our president, these politicians, the men and the women, like, they are the left and the right. Mm-hmm. I think in my mind, when you are paying attention to them, you're turning your eyes to the right and the left. Um, they're Satan's children, by and large, I think most of them. And they're looking to steer you from the straight path that leads to life. So we yeah. highly encourage you, don't pay attention to the news. They're Freddy Krueger, right? If you ever watched The Nightmare on Elm Street, I can't remember which one it was, but Freddy goes away and people haven't seen him for years and they're wondering why. And it's because the children lost fear in him and Freddy feeds on your fear. So the more afraid you are, the more powerful he gets. I don't even remember that that was because it. Because you're a better person than me. But I watched that's our it, politicians. <laughs> the more afraid you are, the more power they get. And the only way you become more afraid is when you watch this nonsense that they speak uh spout day in and day out it's all lies it's all for their own political power well like i was telling you earlier um just people who get so caught up in everything that satan's doing in the world every everything that's being exposed and they're obsessed with exposing wickedness and i was just thinking like people are more focused even on that even though they think they're doing right by exposing evil, their eyes are more focused on that than on Christ. Because we're told to think on what's right and true and good, not to be focused on everything wrong in the world. Like, yeah, we know the world's corrupt. Do we need to be pointing it out to every person every time we hear something? Like, I just feel like we need to be talking about the goodness of of God and... Yeah, it is. Because I think if Satan can get your eyes fixed on him, then they're not fixed on Christ. So that's still a win. Even if you're paying close attention, not that we shouldn't be aware of the devil's devices. Of course we should Right, but it's consuming people's minds. It's consuming them. I mean, we all know that person in our family who you probably agree with them on 95% of the stuff, but it's just a tsunami of stuff. And you're like, hey, man, like, why don't you open up, you know, the book of... Nehemiah and give it a read. I don't know, like just go and read something. Like what is most of your talk about? The goodness of God or what's around the corner that Satan's doing? Or yeah, yeah, that's just kind of a side thing we could talk about another time too. But yeah, we'll probably kind of went along with that. I think it's definitely a topic worth discussing. But yeah, I mean, with the January sixth thing, like I would largely ignore it. Um, you know, these politicians, they're reading speeches they didn't write, all to sell a message of events that aren't true. So they can look heroic, yeah. Um, you know, rather than like the career bureau- uh, bureaucrat who has really taken far more from this nation than they've ever given. So ignore them. Um, let them lose their power like Freddy Krueger and fix your <laughs> eyes on heavenly things. So the second story, uh, the second and the third story, like I mentioned, came from Christianity Today. Uh, I probably didn't probably saw this before, but apparently Christianity Today locks some of their stuff behind a paywall, or maybe if you look at it too much. So Mm -hmm. uh, some of these articles you may or may not be able to access unless you shill out some cash to Christianity Today, Um, but we'll have them linked anyways. And this first story, honey, if you want to read this one. Yeah, it says, parents 
set the pace for their adult children's religious life. Yeah, and if, uh, it was a really good article, I thought. I mean, you know, we all know the verse, right, that if you raise your child mm -hmm. in the way they should go, when they're older, they won't depart. But um, if you want to read this next. Oh, the part of that, yeah. yeah. Uh, parental religious investment and involvement is in almost all cases the necessary and even sometimes sufficient condition for children's religious investment and involvement. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think we've talked about this before that, you know, 60% of Christians get their faith from their parents. Um, and this article mm -hmm. kind of talks about how even when they're older, you know, when they become adults, the, their parents are still a major religious influence mm -hmm. in their life, even if they maybe have strayed a little bit or aren't. Because yeah. it talks in the article about how parents can sometimes set a glass ceiling on their children's religious um, leanings. So if you and your wife aren't as diligent in your faith and all mm -hmm. that, you can really stunt your child's religious growth because a lot of times they won't outgrow their parents' faith. Um, so it's something for us to consider as we're yeah. You know, raising our children, you're like, ah, you know, let's just get them to church on Easter and Christmas. Right. That's probably going to be all they wind up doing then if you don't take it very serious. So. If you don't. And I know there was another part of that article that was saying a lot of parents, I don't know how it was worded, but kind of like back away when their children are, you know, teens or preteens because they're more into hanging out with their friends and uh, music and social media become more of their life. So the parents just kind of Oh, what do you do? Maybe it's they're tired and they're like, all right, go do your own thing. You're, I can back away now and rest and my job's done. And I actually see that happening just, you know, as we grow and we see our friends' children's, uh, their children grow up and, you know, they aren't going to church much anymore and you can tell they've fallen away and you see the shift in their child being so innocent. And then you later see pictures and you're like, they look totally different. Like you can tell they're not invested in their children anymore. They've just let them go off. And that's like the very serious age where you need to be taking your job as a parent more seriously, spending more time with your kids, not just letting them run around with who knows yeah, who I they're mean, hanging out with, hard. I guess. I mean, being tired is definitely, I mean, it's I, a real I thing. I can get you know? that. It's but hard still. to be like, I have a job for you. It's a 29-year job. You're like, what? That's a 29. Lot. But it is that, that enduring till the end, it like is. with your job, like part of that enduring is what are you doing with what God gave you? I hope that in like 20 years, when my kids are 35, I'll still be calling and be like, you take your vitamin? <laughs> you bum, you know, that's my hope. But yeah, it's a really good article. It's encouraging if you've gotten tired or maybe mm -hmm. you've gotten lazy and you've thought, man, you know, I'm losing touch with my kids or... right. It's really a call that it's less about your kids and it's more about you. You know, what are you and your husband doing? If, if you've been lax in your faith and it's the kids have seen it, mm -hmm. you know, rather than trying to harp on them about it, maybe it's time you and your husband, you know, got a little more serious about your faith and the kids will see it. They'll be around it. They'll notice it. And maybe you can raise that glass ceiling up a little bit higher. For if you're them. not raising it yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good article. Um, highly encourage you guys to go to read that. Um, but the second article from CT kind of goes along with the January 6th um, topic. You want to read just that art or the, the title and then just that paragraph. Yeah. Give us a king. Lessons from the Capitol sedition. 
and says, are we stuck with panic politics forever? Fear of unchecked power likely can't be assuaged by political means. Perfect love drives out fear. That's 1 John 4.18. And perfect love can't be legislated. Yet there is something legislation can do. We can't pass a law to stop Americans from being afraid of each other's designs on power, but we could make the power far more limited, diffuse, constrained. And this article is really good. You know, there's so many articles that you'll read today and probably throughout the week that'll tell you all the problems, you know, all the ways that Trump did something wrong and this guy did something wrong. But this article actually lays out solutions, um, which, you know, spoiler, most of them come from taking power from the politicians where it never belonged in the first place. Uh, It belongs to you and me um, in the state. So he lays out just a lot of really smart points here. Um, But then, you know, just as Christians, how to not kind of give in to this panic politic thing where, you know, we're voting because we're freaked. I mean, how many times have you heard it in your life that, oh, if you vote for this guy, you're throwing your vote away. And that means this guy is going to get in. And they're just trying to scare you into basically yeah. voting how they want you to vote. And you're panicked. Oh, well, if I don't do this, then the next guy is going to do it. And then, you know, our country's over and all this nonsense that they, it's lies. You know, you're buying into lies. We all know it is, but then we, you know, swallow that pill anyway. So it's a really good article. Uh, I liked it. A lot of, smart points again how much of it can really happen i mean that really just starts with us and you know you on an individual level kind of reaching out to your local politicians and demanding that they stop being scumbags and um stop being power hungry um you know corrupt leaders so uh give it a read i think it's good you know as far as uh, articles on January 6th go, it's probably going to be one of the better ones you read. So, <laughs> But we want to keep this thing moving because today is much more uh, important than the lousy news. Um, and today we want to talk about being a good or godly husband. Um, I think if you're a godly husband, you're probably a good husband. Mm-hmm. You can be a good husband without being a godly husband, but that may <laughs> fade away. Uh, so... Hmm. Just kind of, as we mentioned, you know, it's always good when you're talking about really anything, you know, marriage is a Christian uh, institution. So if you're talking about Christian things, it's always a good idea to go to the Bible first. Um, So, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bible has a lot to say about being a husband. um, And probably the first verse that everyone thinks of when it comes to being a husband is uh, Ephesians 5.25. And that says, husband love or husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm. Um, so, you know, we talked about this last week that that first part of the verse, love your wives. You know, women hate Ephesians 5.22, where it says to submit to your husband, because you're like, oh, how dare you tell me to submit? But, you know, we talked that um loving your wife is not necessarily any easier to do than to submit to your husband. They can both be very challenging um, at different times. You know, when you're having an argument, you're supposed to love your wife. That's hard. When your husband's a bum, it's hard to submit. You know, they can both be difficult. Um, But, you know, and honestly, I would say even submitting to someone's authority really isn't even all that hard at all. You, I mean, you might bite your tongue, grind your teeth, but it's really relatively easy to do. 
um, you know, you can do it without much thought, but loving someone yeah. that can, I mean, that's a hard issue. There's no two ways about it. You can't fake love yeah. somebody like God sees the heart. So yeah. And the Bible even says not just to give, but to be a cheerful giver. So it is about the heart and that's where everything springs out from. So when you have a hard time submitting, you ask God to help. You have to ask God to help you with your heart and dying to the flesh, really. Because it is, it just comes down to pride. And we aren't uh, called into marriage to go through motions, just grit our teeth and fake a smile through it all, you know? Like, yeah. everybody can do that, but you know it's God moving when your heart um, is invested in it. And that's what we have to pray about is for our hearts to change, not like let's pray, God, help me do this. Like first, God changed my heart, help me to love, to have joy in serving. Um, can't just, yeah, because it's meant, it's meant to be a joy to serve others, especially our spouses. So can't think of Jesus serving and him just faking it, like in the back of his mind, being all angry and grumbling. Like, <laughs> I no. mean. He, he did it and it came from his heart and we have to remember that. And if we're to follow Jesus, we have to be doing it for real. It has to flow from our heart. We're not just supposed to faking following Jesus. No. So there you have it, women. Men still have it harder than you. <clears throat> I'm kidding. But you know, yeah, to love someone at all times, like I said, when they're being rude, mean, argumentative, you know, it's not easy. Definitely takes prayer. Definitely takes the Holy Spirit uh, moving in your life. And like Nikki said, changing your heart um, definitely is a big thing. Uh, and, you know, I think just naturally we're not, we're not born natural loving people, right? We're sinners. We're evil people when we're born, you know? So um, mm. egotistical, prideful, like she said, um, you know, when that gets taken advantage of our pride and all that, you know, we feel wrong. Like it's, it can be incredibly hard to walk in love is, you know, I think the point. So. Um, and even still, like when you're married, the longer you're with somebody, the harder it is to walk in love with them. You know, it's pretty easy to walk in love, you know, to that dream girl that you just met a month ago, you know, <laughs> and whatever she says, something nasty to you. And you're like, Oh, but I love her, man. You know, like that's still easy, but you know, try that with the wife you've been married to for 15 years. And they do that thing that really irritates you again. And you're like, she knows what she's doing, you know, that sort of thing. Like that's even harder, you know, to try to walk in love. Um, but after but, 15 years, you need to keep bringing it up. It's like, yeah, wives don't nag your husbands to fix leaky pipes. They'll get to it. You don't need to remind to them every six months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or you're just like, whatever, this is my thing. I, I nag. So, um, yeah, I mean, so it, it doesn't get easier to walk in love. Um, but hopefully over those 15 years, you've been more prayed up, you've gotten closer to God. So in a sense, it does. It, <clears throat> it, I don't know, it gets harder, but it gets easier too, because God's working more in you. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's ultimately what we're called to do, like it says to love your wife. Um, and that's a hard issue. So um, really, you know, in loving anybody, not just your wife, but that comes down to just basically placing people as more important than yourselves. Um, you know, that humble yourself kind of attitude. And that's the role Jesus took. Um, and his husbands as the heads of families, you know, 
sort of as Christ is the head of the church. That's the role we are to take um, in that loving role. And, you know, I was reminded, and I wrote down John chapter 13, um, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet before he's betrayed. Um, and, you know, in there, he even washes Judas's feet. And that's always stuck out to me. That's been mm. one of those verses that's really like, man, he washes Judas's feet. Mm. Um, but then he says in verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master. You know, he knew, Ju- knew who Judas was um, and he understood what he had to do. But when I read that and just knowing Jesus reading the story, like, I guess he loved him. Yeah. Like probably in his heart, he loved Judas and it probably pained yeah. him to know what Judas was going to do. I mean, he walked closely with him. You know, so if Christ is our master, we're his servants. We've got to humble ourselves, you know, as he did serve and love as he did. I mean, just think about the ultimate betrayal. Like, even if your spouse betrays you, like, can you even go to that level of humility and be like Jesus and still serve them that way? That's just, he went all the way. You're still going to get her a birthday present? (laughs) Like, he was hurt very deeply and yeah well that's serious though the betrayal like that would be hard to do no i mean it, <laughs> i can't imagine it's easy to do i'm sure it wasn't easy for christ to do but um yeah i think yeah you know that first part loving is difficult but um that second part of the verse you know it tells you that giving yourself up for her um, which I think is an important part that usually gets left out when people are referencing Ephesians five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. I think to me, like when I read that, that idea of like giving yourself up can mean that you aren't the man you, or you aren't the man anymore that you were when you got married to her. You know, we talked in episode one about being who you were better, sort of I'm trying better. to improve yourself, but you're not the same person that you were. Um, you know, you're certain, like I mentioned, you're still who you are, but like your identity and your responsibilities, all of that has to change now. Um, you know, when you were dating, you know, your thoughts and actions are mostly about just impressing them, right? You're trying to keep them interested. Um, but then as a husband, you know, you should still obviously be thinking about those things. You still have to keep your spouse interested, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, your thoughts need to be focused probably more on provision. They need to be focused on her improvements. Um, If you have a family, it's got to be focused on family success or failure, you know, because you're no longer just solely in that, like, courting your lady stage. (laughs) Like, that's already come and gone. Now you're in the provider, um, spiritual head stage. So, yeah, I mean, like you're steering, you know, the course of your life together. And again, like I said, it doesn't mean you stop being that man that you were entirely. Um, but you got to give up those areas of your life, you know, that were hinders or hindrances or weren't necessarily nurturing or nurturing, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the growth of your family. Right. I mean, everything you can just relate to your relationship with Jesus. So when you begin a relationship with Jesus, you give up your old ways in order to follow him because we want to please him and bring honor to him, you can't just like add Jesus on the side and continue your life. Um, no, it's you not want just to know an why extra thing in American your life. Christianity looks the way it does, because that's what they do. 
Yeah, Jesus you have to is completely just a new handbag. Well, just like that episode we did with um, what was his name? Peterson. What was Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson. Like, what would it look like? Um, you know, he said, like he can't imagine what it would mean to fully believe. Like, what would it mean to fully um know what you're doing coming into marriage do you really consider the role you're taking on the the title you're taking on like take on the title christian what does that mean we should uh, just the same like consider before marrying what does this mean how does this change who i am what is this going to require of me what is the sacrifice that i'm going to have to make um so yeah we talked about this in the wife episode that if you're a, a woman and you're not in a phase of your life where you're willing to submit to a man, then you're not ready for marriage. Right. You know, and you got to admit that to yourself. And the same thing for a man. If you're not in the stage where you're ready to be a family provider, you know, a spiritual head of your family and all those sorts of things, even if you're not necessarily there yet, but you're still in that mode where that's where you want to get to, then you're not ready for marriage. Like if you just want to hang out with a girl because you really like her then just hang out with her because you like her. But there's no sense in marrying her and taking on all those responsibilities mm-hmm. and then just shirking them and letting the family fall apart. That's not what marriage is. That's just like, I wanted to be with a girl for a little while. And I was like Adam and Eve were together. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. And if you like, that's part of it. I know yeah. we have ways to not be fruitful and just be married, but you have no. to consider that part as well. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, obviously we're, you know, marriage is there. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. We're supposed to be a family unit. Yeah. All that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, you got to weigh the, the consequences of the role that you're taking on and then be honest with yourself if you're ready to take on those roles and you may mm-hmm. not be, and that's perfectly okay, you know, but there's no sense in like, just, yeah, I don't know jumping off the the deep end if you're not ready or you don't know how to swim kind of a thing. So kind of getting ready, that's going to be different for everybody. Um, But, you know, as long as you're praying, you're seeking God to help you understand, um, you know, you'll get there eventually. Um, But I think the second verse um, that usually comes up when you start talking about godly husbands um, is 1 Peter 3, 7. Um, and just on a note, just cause it popped in my head, I've been reading through my Martin Luther biography and, uh, it was funny or not funny, but illuminating that when you read it, Martin Luther, he believed that the three most important books in the Bible that, you know, he said they were all important. Um, uh, but the three most important were the gospel of John Romans and first Peter. So, uh, if you want to read like Martin Luther read, study first Peter, I guess. So, uh, but first Peter three, seven says, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I was just thinking how that verse might actually be the most disliked verse by women. Like, oh, I'm the weaker vessel. Like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, if you asked a thousand Bible commentators, you might get a thousand different answers on what it means. But I mean, they're weaker in a lot of ways that, you know, you might know they're obviously physically weaker. Um, 
women are a more emotional um, sex than men typically. So you might say they're emotionally weaker in a sense. I mean, they're emotionally stronger in that they give into their emotions more, which can be healthy. But I guess if you're in a survival, need to make a decision type of scenario, maybe, you know, more, I guess, less emotional could be uh, seen as better. But even back mm-hmm. in that culture, you weren't a provider. Like you were economically weaker as a woman. You were educationally weaker as a woman. Now, those obviously aren't necessarily the same today. Yeah, those can't like um, apply today. Yeah. To I mean, they certainly apply in places, you know, go to the Middle East and <laughs> you're still right. a weaker vessel. But yeah. so, I mean, I don't think that that goes away. I mean, I still think it's true. I mean, if it was not true, it wouldn't be in the Bible. So, well, what was that podcast we listened to last night? The um, the one about the he was talking about the right hand, left hand being equal. How women always want to be equal. Yeah, he kind of made the point that you know being equal does not mean being the same. You know, right? And his point was kind of um, you have two hands. You know, but for me, I'm a right-handed person. So my two hands are equal, but they are not the same. I cannot do with my left hand what I can do with my right hand. Right. But they're both equally important, right? I need both of my hands. They both mm-hmm. serve, you know, functions and stuff, but they're they're very different in what they can accomplish. Yeah. Same as a husband and a wife. We're equal, but we're not the same. We have different roles. Um, I can and should be doing things that she uh, shouldn't be doing. And likewise, she can and should be doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, weaker vessel may be the most hated. Uh, but It's true, though. It's just, it's science. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously, yeah, there's certain ways that you just can't deny, um, you know, just go watch Leah Thompson, what, Leah Thomas, the uh, transgendered swimmer, male to female, who's dominating college swimming right now. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, you can show honor to them you know, in this way, like the verse says, um, showing honor to them as a weaker vessel by humbling yourself, you know, and again, thinking of them as more important than you, uh, again, placing their needs, needs of the family all above your own. And, you know, to be honest, in most family situation, in our family situation is a perfect example. You know, the wife is going to naturally be more focused on the family needs on the children needs, on your relationship, you know, the health of your relationship, they're typically more in tune. So, you know, if you're a good leader, a good husband, good head of the household, you're going to take advice from your team, you know, you'd be like, Hey, you know, what do the kids need? You know, if it was up to me, the kids would probably still be wearing the same shoes they had from two years ago and their toes are poking out and you're like, ah, oh, you're <laughs> fine. Right. You know, but Nikki's like, Oh, the girls need new pants. I'm like, can we just buy new pants? Like, so. They're just more in tune with that sort of stuff. So you take advice, you show honor to them by being like, hey, you know, what what should we do? What do they need? What do they want for Christmas? You know, I don't know what it is. And I'm just like your supervisor and you're the boss. <laughs> I mean, but it's the way any good company is run, right? Like <laughs> if you're running a good company, you don't just have a CEO who just walks around and makes every single decision in every single department at every single day. It's not the way it works. You have advisors and, you know, mm-hmm. C- COOs and CTOs and CFOs that run all these different things and managers at different levels. And you take all their advice, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I'm a, in the Air Force, you know, as a loadmaster. 
a pilot wouldn't walk out there and be like, I'm going to tell the load masters exactly what they need to do to be better at their job. You'd be like, settle down. But you could come and ask me what load masters need to be better at their job. And I could tell you. Mm -hmm. And then if you're a good leader, um, you would take that advice and you would institute whatever the, you know, strategy happens to be. So it's the same way in a family. I mean, that's showing honor to them. Yep. And that's, you know, I think a, a good way to do it. Um, but it, you know, uh, one, you know, example I kind of wrote down thinking about this was the way that we do our Bible studies. Um, you know, Nikki brought, you know, we obviously have read the Bible with the kids and stuff, but we get busy and we kind of, it was hit or miss. And, you know, she's always on me like, Hey, we need to read the Bible with the kids. And she basically brought the idea back up, kind of told me a perfect time when it would be, uh, or a time that would be perfect for us to do the Bible study. So we took that advice. I mean, I still lead the Bible studies. We still read with the kids, pray together with them, but it was all her idea and her, you know, Hey, let's do this. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's so, I mean, that's, I think in a sense, a small, simple example of the way things should work, showing honor to your wife, loving them, taking their advice and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm glad we do that now after dinner. And I look forward to that time. And, yeah, it works. and I have to say that is my favorite part of the day is when we're all sitting down and I don't know, together as a family and the kids seem to enjoy that time and they don't complain. And all, not all the time. I mean, of all the things Spencer does, that's pretty impressive and admirable. I mean, just seeing him lead the family in that way, that just, that's just the best thing about him to me. You know, you can be talented and everything else, but that's, I don't know. I think God is glad when he sees that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, you don't, we've, we opened this podcast, our very first episode telling you we're not theologians. We don't got, you know, university degrees or we're not apologists or pastors. We're just two people that love the Lord and read the Bible. And yeah. that's all you got to be. Open the Bible up, read it with your kids and be amazed with them. It's written for the, the common man. And it that's really is. How many yeah. times do we read it? And we go, ah. Did you see what that just said? I'm like, hold on, let's go read what this just said. And then we just explain it to them. Like, do you understand what that's saying? You know, and um, it's basically the same way I do my devotionals. If you're following us on TikTok or mm -hmm. um, if you listen Monday through Friday to the devotionals, I literally just read through the Bible and I'm like, that line sticks out to me. Yeah. And why does it stick out to me? And um, that's essentially what we do with our kids. And you know? I think and, that's okay. Like, we all have the Holy Spirit as our teacher who better. I mean, than any theologian or anything, but also an important thing I always teach the kids when studying scripture, reading, or even if someone's teaching you, interpret scripture with scripture. That's just the number one thing I always want them to remember so they don't, you know, yeah. get lured away by a false teaching. And do you know the best way you can learn to interpret scripture with scripture is reading scripture? Because <laughs> you'll start reading and be like, I could have swore I just read that something very similar. And you're like, oh yeah, it says that same thing here. So um Yeah. But and then the last part of that verse, you know, it says a pretty serious, you know, sort of consequence that your prayers may not be hindered, you know? So I mean that's pretty simple. Mm. If you don't want your prayers hindered, show honor to your wife. 
you know, and to me, that's written not like a, yeah, it may happen. Like, it's pretty serious. Take I certainly don't want my prayers hindered. I don't uh, want your prayers hindered. Yeah, your family doesn't want your prayers hindered. So um, show honor to your wife. And then um, just sort of tying in a little bit, but kind of moving away from the scripture aspect to this, um, kind of my second thought here was um, understanding your role as a husband. So. You know, we mentioned before that you're no longer the boyfriend, you know, you and your wife are no longer dating. Um, even if it's just you and your wife, like, you know, you maybe you don't have kids, you know, you're still the head of a family now. Uh, if you do have kids, that obviously gets exponentially more important uh, because you have more lives that you're caring for. But even if it's just you two, um, you know, you still have to be the man again that she was interested. You have to keep doing all those things, getting better keeping her attracted, but you also have to be the leader that, again, steers the course of your family, even if it's just you two. Um, and again, that comes with an innumerable amount of decisions every single day, um, choices that you have to make. I mean, again, it's going to be different for every family. Um, the one that stood out to my mind when I was making this was our move to Alaska. So when we moved to Alaska in 2015, you know, I basically showed up to work on like a random Thursday or whatever it was. And my boss was like, Hey, you want to go to Alaska? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Oh, there's an assignment open in Alaska. I was like, Oh man, that'd be pretty sweet. He's like, kind of need to know today, which in hindsight, I'm sure he didn't need to know, but he put the pressure <laughs> on me. And I was like, well, let me go home and talk to Nikki about it. I'll come back and tell you tomorrow. Went back home and we, you know, I kind of told her like, hey, this is short notice. I got to give him a yes or no answer. She was not having it. All of her friends were giving her like bad advice. Like, oh, you got young kids. You shouldn't go. It's dangerous and cold and animals. And to the point where she was like crying and she's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's a big decision. She didn't outright say no. I don't remember. Mm -mm. But at the end of it, I was like this is a once a lifetime opportunity, I'm not going to pass up. So I basically I was like, we're going to go to Alaska. And we're going to make the best of it. And, you know, I went in, I said, yes, we went to Alaska. And it was the to this day, it's the best two and a half years of our life that we've ever lived. Alaska was absolutely amazing. Great church, great friends. Family life was great. Like everything was we were phenomenal. always hiking, we were always outside. But that was one of those situations where like, we talked about it. Yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I was like, but you I'm making honored this decision. me and still brought it up. Said, what do you think? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> but I, was I wanted too. to go. I didn't want to disappoint you. And I knew ultimately we'd be OK, even if I was a little uncomfortable with it. Like I trusted God leading us through you, you know? Yeah. No. And I mean, you know, there's probably a thousand of those decisions. And you know, you may have to make more difficult ones in, than that in your life. But I mean, it's just once you get married, those are decisions that have to be made. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think kind of touching back on the wife topic, you have to be okay with that. If your husband chooses to go a different route than what you want, that's where that submission comes in. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not valuable anymore, but like, you know, so it's that, you know, kind of yeah. give and take a little bit that a husband and a wife have to do. But again, as a husband, you've got to be aware of the role that you're stepping into. And again, I think that's a big problem. I've told you guys to listen to Jason Whitlock's podcast um, 
before. I'd encourage you to still listen to it, but he talks a lot about the feminization of America and sort of this matriarch spirit that we've had taken over this country. Mm-hmm. And he speaks a lot about it in the African American community where they're largely run by matriarchs and mm-hmm. the damage that that causes when roles are reversed and women take the lead by and large and men follow their lead. They become much more erratic emotionally, um, all these sorts of things. So he touches on it way more intelligently than I could. But when those roles get reversed and women take that place of authority, it's not God's design and it gets, uh, it gets out of whack. So um, yeah, definitely something you want to watch out to. Um, but then another role that I think a man you've got to be ready to take on, um, is the role of to grow your faith. And, you know, once you get married, again, you become the de facto spiritual head of the family. It's just the way it's designed. Mm -hmm. Um, and much like the matriarch, this is a role uh, or an area where America is suffering greatly. Uh, I pulled up just some stats here and again, these will be linked down in the description, but it's uh, a coalition on men's ministry. And it says, uh, when a mother comes to Christ, her family will join her at church 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family joins him 93% of the time. So if you wow. want your family to be faithful and religious, the dads needs to be a faithful man. Mm. Um, it says, where was the other one I saw? Um, on any given Sunday, there are 13 million more adult women than men in America's churches. Um, you want to know why we're sliding off a cliff uh, spiritually in America? It's because men aren't in church. Um, hmm. Wow. Yeah, it says midweek activities often draw 70 to 80% more female participants. Men may go on a Sunday. That's about as far as they go of getting involved. And it's just so damaging. You've got to take that role as the spiritual head of your family, mm. or you're not ready to be married. Um, and again, if you want to know how to fix a lot of these problems, we talked about January 6th to start the show. You want to fix America? Men need to get their butts in church. That's the first and foremost before anything. Yeah. Um, making more money for your family is not more important. Only God can fix anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. In being a Christian on an island alone, people always think, well, I don't need the church. Yeah, you do. Yeah. If you're not in church, you're probably not that sold out. There may be a few of those out there, but they're few and far between. Well, I just saw something on Facebook today. Somebody posted about, um, like, you're a sheep and sheep are in a flock. Like, you're meant to be together, to do life together. That's why you're a sheep. Right. So and you're not supposed to be, like, a lone wolf, wolf Christian. That's a wolf. Are you a sheep or a wolf? <laughs> right. And the shepherd guards the flock. Yeah. There's no shepherd for you one sheep. You don't, right. You, if you leave the flock, then you've left the shepherd because you're a body. It's the body of Christ. You're part of it. You need to be connected to it. Right. And it's sinful too, because you're not sharpening your brothers and sisters. Yeah. If you're not there and partaking with them, then you're basically robbing them of the chance to be sharpened by you. Mm. Um, so those are more of kind of the big overarching points, you know sticking with the biblical model of a man or as a, of a husband, but then also understanding your role before you dive into it. So Mm -hmm. 
onto a more practical one. And this is something we probably should have done an episode you say about it a lot. <laughs> 100 episodes ago, um, but we just never find the right time for it. But my first and foremost, number one rule for every husband on earth under the sun is stop watching porn. For the love of God, stop watching porn. And I know what you're saying. I don't do it. My husband doesn't do it. Odds are they do. Um, odds are they do. I pulled up some stats here. Um, let me see. See if I can find it. Let me say something about, okay, you know how we talked about going to the gym and it's mm -hmm. like a strip club in there with the mm -hmm. way that women dress? So even maybe they can just go to the gym and that's kind of them just, you know, getting what they want with their eyes. But even yeah. if we go together, I know people say it's not a big deal because we watch it together. And I was thinking like, oh, even if me and you go into the gym together, is that like me and you watching porn together? Like it's wrong for you to go by yourself. Is it wrong for me to be there with you? Does that help you in any no, way? The gym is definitely, and this is, um, you know, an area where I, I can't find the article that I had before, but it basically, I think it said that 64% of Christian men um, claim to watch porn once a month. And that's Christian men telling somebody that they watch that's porn the once a month. That's confessing. So yeah. it's probably, I Higher, would argue, yeah. probably more in the 80%. Um, but, you know, the thing is, and I saw that number was back from 2018, and the internet's gotten more into our everyday life. Mm -hmm. Social media has gotten more into our everyday life where, yeah, things like being at the gym and lusting after a, a scantily clad woman or man, it works both ways with them. But then also Instagram models and TikTok and, you know, all these different things where you aren't necessarily sitting in front of an old dusty right. VHS tape watching <laughs> porn yeah. at your uncle's house, um, not giving anybody away how I grew up at 12. But, um, you know, just scrolling through your phone and lusting and You've got to stop watching porn. Um, not only that, but the amount of sex trafficking, you know, that goes on. I kind of wrote in my notes that I would put um, porn is probably the greatest plague on America ever. I don't know if that's being hyperbolic, but I'd put it above slavery, above racism, because the results of porn in America and throughout the world is there's more people in slavery today than there ever was in America mm -hmm. and porn and sex trafficking and human trafficking knows no race or gender. <laughs> right. They'll do That's it to true. everybody. Yeah. Um, so it's a plague, you know, and we try to fool ourselves by being like, well, no, I mean, I watched the porn that's on the legit site. None of those are sex trafficked. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Um, so you know, I don't know how many families pornographies ruin, how many ministries, but it's got to be unmatched in American history. Um, the amount of just trouble that it's caused. You know, I took down from one of these websites, and again, we'll have them linked, but it says that uh, there's 30, about 30 million people um, in slavery around the world today. And of that, it was like, 20%, I think, was sex trafficking or sex slaves. So that means there's roughly 6.6-ish .6 million people being sex trafficked or held as a sex slave 
in the world today. That is mind-blowing to think that that, that still goes on. And every time we log in to our computer, on our phone, I mean, the porn industry makes <laughs> gazillions of dollars. I mean, I don't even know how much money the porn industry makes a year, but it's astronomical. And as far as being a husband is concerned, um, and listen, I'm not, you know, I grew up with my own struggles in porn. I talked about watching old dusty VHS tapes when I was 12. I've talked about it on this show before. We have 14-year-old boys. And to think what I was and how my life looked at 14 compared to my boys, like, is it's crazy to think that what I was doing and what I was exposed to and involved in, you know, 12 years old, seeing porn and watching it at, you know, family members' houses. And like, it just becomes something that you do. And it's not a sin that's easily defeated. Um, well, all like, Things like that, even like kids being molested, it's always something to do with family. Not that you were molested, but anything like that's how those kinds of sexual sins, it's always through family members. Yeah. And I mean, and praise God, I was never molested or anything, but right. you know, most yeah. of the time they're dragging into a life where a lifetime of sin mm-hmm. and they don't even know it. Like they aren't even trying to be malicious about it. Their life is ruined and they don't realize it either. Um, you know, but just my thoughts and the ways that, you know, you can think about this. Like I would say if your husband routinely turns down sex with you or seems disinterested in sex, um, outside of maybe a very rare and random, you know, medical condition, it's probably because he's having sex somewhere else. And it's probably unlikely it's with someone else. It's probably with himself. Um, and that sounds gross, but he's probably watching a bunch of porn. Um, and that's why he's just not as interested because guys are interested in sex. That's just the way it is. Um, so if he doesn't seem to be, or it's been a very long time since he has been, I would say that's probably the major culprit that you need to look into is, um, you know, cause again, it may not be true. 64% of Christians, uh, yeah. say that they do to a surveyor. <laughs> so probably higher than that but i would just say man you've got and it's not going to be an easy thing because porn is everywhere it's infiltrated every aspect of our lives we've gotten rid of netflix because of it um because you just you can't watch a show on netflix without nudity um yeah you know even we live in florida like we've gotten we've had a lot of talks where like we have to stop going to the beach or we've got to find secluded areas we can't go to the beach anymore the way girls dress the way guys dress on the beach, you're like you just you can't subject yourself to it. Um, it's, so you need to go back to Alaska. Everybody wears their winter coats all year, year long. <laughs> everything's better in Alaska, but porn. There's no easy way to defeat it, but it has to be defeated. Um, so I would say, watch out for that. That's the number one solution I can say if you want to be a better husband. Uh, stop watching porn. Uh, it's it's very practical. It's very practical. <laughs> Uh, not easy though. Um, the next one that I would say, and we mentioned this, the same thing in your, uh, in our godly wife episode. And that was don't gossip about your wife. Um, I think that's practical advice for anybody, but you know, if you are the head of a household, you are in charge of a family, steering them, rearing them in all the ways that they're supposed to go. And then you go and trash them all about how bad your wife is or how 
whatever it's your dishonoring. kids are. Your prayers will be hindered. It's for dishonoring, gossip. number one, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it makes you look like an idiot. For I mean, if you're walking around, again, to me, when I hear people talking about how bad their wife is or whatever it is, you're like, then why would you marry that mm-hmm. person? You know, oh, my kids are out of control and create like, why didn't you raise them better? I mean, again, that's not 100%. There are cases, but like when you're the head of a family, like if your business goes bankrupt, you don't walk around and be like, can't believe that cashier didn't <laughs> work hard on Thursday. No, nah, man, you're a bad CEO. You're a bad <laughs> business owner. That's why I went bankrupt. Not your employee's fault. Um, and if your family's going awry, most of the time it's the husband's fault. Um, and that's a, a big burden to bear, but it's one you've got to bear. So. Um, I don't know how you feel about gossiping. I mean, we talked about it last episode. It's just ugly. It's just it's not a usually good usually something that you associate with women. I don't know. You don't, I don't know. Maybe guys gossip just as much. We don't call it gossiping. It's just more griping. Okay. You know? They're just complaining um, or female dogging, as we would call it. <laughs> but, uh, and then the last point before we dive into our good housewives, uh, kind of good husband list here uh, i would say protecting your children and your family is a role that men need to start taking seriously and that starts with protecting them obviously physically but it also comes with protecting them emotionally and spiritually um so if most men are pretty good about the first one protecting them physically you know got a, a safe full of guns downstairs uh whatever it happens to be but if you're not protecting them emotionally and spiritually, then you're letting them down as well. And, you know, I don't know a lot of practical ways to protect them emotionally, but me and Nikki have had these talks before that, like, I don't think it's okay for men to just be an emotional wreck. Um, you know, there are certain times, and obviously we get our idea of masculinity, true masculinity from Jesus. So you've seen him, mm. you know, Jesus weeping and crying for people, but like, you never see a case of Jesus being emotionally unstable or like only when he was flipping tables in the but he wasn't unstable he was very calculated no that's okay Um, to get to be angry there's nothing wrong with being righteously angry yeah yeah Um, so you know and just in my mind as i'm thinking about protecting people emotionally it's like if something catastrophic were to happen you know like we said you're the stronger vessel you're you're the stronger vessel you should be the stronger vessel if you aren't you need to work towards it but like, you know, maybe, I don't know what it is. You're, you know, we had a, one of our sons pulled hot soup down on himself when he was very young and got second and third degree burns on his arm. And like in that situation, I wasn't home when it happened. Um, I didn't handle it as good as I would have liked to have handled it. But like, if we were both in that situation and I'm in the corner crying my eyes out and freaking out and Nikki's over there crying and freaking out, like, how are we helping the situation? Like as a man, you should be able to be like, gonna bottle it up. We're gonna get stuff taken care of, get everyone, you know, marching in the same direction. And then you yeah. can go like Jesus in the garden and go and cry and cry out to God, <laughs> you know, on your own time once things are taken care of. But I just think it's a bad look if you're an emotional wreck as a man. But then also spiritually, like again, you're the spiritual head of your family. If your family's faith is failing, that's on you. Um, you need to take ownership of that. And it's okay to have an outlier. You know, if you've got five kids and one of them's, you know, a knucklehead, but the other four are good, 
you probably did your job. But if you've got four knuckleheads and no, one that's you faithful, leave the 99 and go after the one. Of course you do. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, if that's your record, hey, I, I'm batting 20% on raising faithful kids. You're like, you didn't do that well, did you? You know? Yeah. Um, so you got to take ownership of that spiritual um, protection in your family. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of correction and probably uncomfortable conversations. I am the, the king way. of having uncomfortable conversations <laughs> with my kids for a long, long time. My kids hate my lectures because they go on and on and on <laughs> and on. Um, well, they're memorable. <laughs> uh, let's see. I pulled up two of these. We'll go into the good, or the good husband's guide. And I'll have two of them linked so you can go through them together. But I know where this episode's running long, so I want to try to get it's it good though. get it done here as quickly as we can but so we'll just touch on this first one from i think it's minorthoughts.com it's written by this guy named joe martin maybe i don't know mm. uh, but the first point that he comes up with here is he says um well that first part is for the women right they have oh yeah, yeah he's yeah, going over right. the women first then he's comparing them and the next the second yeah 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 so he says uh Always make getting and keeping a full-time job with regular raises, benefits, bonuses, and potential for prestigious advancement, your number one priority in life. Remember always that you have a wife and children who need your financial support, and that's your responsibility to provide for them to the best of your ability. And you can tell he's being a little sarcastic, but I'm okay with that. Of course you should do that. That's your job as a husband. Like, is that too much of a burden for you (laughs) to provide? Your job is to provide, and you should be striving to provide for them as best as you can. It should not be your number one priority. Christ should be your number one priority. It's just funny that it's written in a sarcastic way. Yeah. Like, that's not good that it's written in a sarcastic way. No. That should be serious. It should be. I mean, again, not to the point where, like, you're willing to do, you know, nefarious things for advancement. But you should be working hard and striving to provide a good life for your family. You shouldn't be gambling all your money away so your family lives in the hood when you could afford to live in a nice suburb or something, you know, like these are things you should be keeping track of. Um, the second one he says is always arrive home refreshed and happy. Put your bad day or your uh, confrontation with your boss, the traffic, the crowds or the physical exhaustion you might feel aside and try to arrive home as cheery, light, lighthearted as you possibly can. Your wife's been struggling with the children and the housework all day. She does not need to hear about your bad okay. day. I want to say something. This is the one that bugged me a lot because when you're when you're the wife and and you do stay home with the kids, that isn't that isn't work. I know that our culture tries to teach us that that is equivalent to a full time job, but it isn't work because we are created with a desire and a joy to raise children. Even changing diapers doesn't work. It's a joy in serving others. Um, Cooking is a joy. I like cleaning too. I'm happy when I'm cleaning. I actually don't see these things as a burden. It's just living life. There's a difference in working and just doing your daily, just day-to-day things to keep things running. And I just very much disagree with comparing your regular daily routine with your husband's day at work, where you're at home, 
You get to sit down when you want. You can sit down and watch TV while the kids nap. You can go wherever you want with your kids. You eat when you want. You pretty much do what you want. You don't have somebody over your head demanding things of you. Your husband is at work and yeah, he doesn't get to take a break when he wants. He doesn't get to go to the bathroom when he wants. He's actually working. So yeah, wife, you be the one refreshed because you have the time to freshen yourself. You probably had a nap. You probably watched TV. You probably scrolled through Facebook throughout the day. Yeah, you be the refreshed one. When he comes to that door, you expect him to be tired and you've been home all day relaxing way more. You serve him when he walks in the door because he's actually been working and being in traffic really does wear you out. It's tiresome. It exhausts me. And listen, I know all the women are punching <laughs> holes in their uh, phone right now. We have four kids who are all homeschooled. So Nikki's at home all day, every day with four kids, three of them, well, two teenagers and a 12-year-old, two boys, two girls. So she, she's in the trenches with the family. And it's not, nobody's saying that it's not hard and frustrating and difficult at times. Yeah. But it's your family. It should yeah. not be, you know, that demanding of yourself where you feel like you just got done with a 40 hour work week. Right. You know, like, although, but I will say to his point as a husband, yeah, you should try to arrive home refreshed and happy. I used to do this when I, when we lived in New Mexico, you know, we'd work kind of late and I mean, we will drink coffee late in the evenings anyways, but every time I would leave work, um, I lived about 15 minutes from work and I would make a cup of coffee before I left at like four thirty, five thirty in the afternoon. And my commander would always be around. He'd be like, dang, Tosi, coffee this late. And I was like, got four kids at home, Sarah can't show up tired, you know? And so I drink a cup of coffee to have more energy when I walked in the door. I mean, it's just, it didn't always work, you know, but that should be a mindset you have. Yeah. Don't come home and just be like, oh my God, my right. day was a night. Yeah. yeah. No one wants to hear that. Um, so yeah, I think we're both right on that point like everybody's happy when you come home like you walk in the door i'm never like oh no he's here and look at the house and i'm just happy that you're home and and i just hope kids aren't crazy but yeah we're always happy when you walk in the door yeah so i'm okay with that point um there's only two more points here so we'll try to get to them but it says be prepared to help with household chores when you get home let your wife relax or talk on the phone since she's been dealing with these problems all day. Problems. These children are problems. <laughs> it says make supper for her often and offer to clean up afterwards so that she may rest and feel appreciated. Uh, I mean, I like I that one. Dis- I don't yeah. disagree with it. You should do it. But um, I think that's just normal life. Yeah. You know, the idea that a guy would just get home and sit on the couch, eat like, food, I'm and then done. go to bed seems... <laughs> You know, but I don't dis or I don't agree with the idea that like, you know, to Nikki's point that like, well, she's been dealing with the chores all day. Let her relax. You know, she's been doing. Yeah, we've both been working all day, you know, so we're going to help each other. But like, I'm not going to come home and be like, oh, you know, I understand why the kitchen's a wreck. It's because you had to sweep today. Like, (laughs) and that's a very simple. (laughs) But like, I agree that, yeah, you should come home and help. But like, I'm not going to come home and be like, baby, you just go lay on the bed. You call your mother. I'm going to take care of the house because you've been working all day. Like, no, we're going to tackle this together. Yeah. Like, we've both been working so all day. So we can both go to bed at a decent time and yeah. we both aren't too exhausted. Finally. All right. I, I don't think I've sleeping. read this last point. So let's see what it has to say. Do not bore your wife with stories of the troubles you faced at work today. 
Remember that you are lucky to have a job that many other men would be happy to trade places with you. Remember that it's not masculine to complain. I agree 100%. It is not masculine to complain um, or let worries trouble you. Your job is to provide and whatever you must go through to achieve that is part of your lot in life. A good husband knows that he is lucky to have a wife at all. And that woman wants a strong, silent man she can depend on. Yeah, dude, I'm down with that point. Um, No, I don't want you to be silent. (laughs) Maybe not silent, but if you're going to complain, be silent. Not that there aren't times for complaints, but I hate complainers. Um, Just you're you're a man. Grit your teeth and bear it. That's the man way. But you're the stronger vessel. So, of course, we're weaker. I'm 100% down with this. (laughs) The idea of Nikki knows I don't ever really talk about what I do at work, Um, even to the point where I might talk with a guy friend about it. And she's like, you did that? Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, you come home and you're like, you leave it behind. If something crazy happened, then yeah, but I know you want to come home, relax. How are you going to relax if you're talking about work? I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about work. The idea that, like, you have stupid stories and she doesn't care. Yeah, they do. Share the stuff. But I'm a big fan of don't complain. Really, that's just a, a statement you should hold at all times in your life. Just don't complain. Nobody wants to hear well, it. Well, it makes you feel like, it makes you feel, well, me, I guess, the wife feel uneasy. Because it makes you think, well, maybe they can't fulfill the role as husband and father. And if I complain on my end, then you're probably thinking, not a very good Helpmate, like this, just the what's required of a wife and mom is too hard. But the lesson every husband knows is if they do complain to you, they don't want you to fix it. They just want you to listen. (laughs) Yep. So just (laughs) listen, nod your head, be like, that sounds terrible. Everyone did you wrong. And then just go about your life um, and silently fix it without her knowing. but that is, uh, that's really all we got going on for this episode. I know it was a long one, but being a good husband is important to me. It should be important to you. It's important to God, <laughs> so it should be important to you. But do you have any last thoughts on this episode before we wrap it up? Um, I guess just advice if you're already married and things aren't going well. I mean, like what we said with the statistics, it's you draw near to God, you get in church and you get surrounded by other believers. Yeah. You can't be a Christian by yourself, be a part of the body of Christ. And, um, yeah, just trust God to, to heal everything, to change your heart, change wife's heart. Yeah. I mean, that's always the answer at the end of everything we talk about is just draw near to God. Yeah, I mean, spoilers, that's going to be pretty much our answer <laughs> for every episode we ever have on this podcast. But I will say, um, you know, Satan is on a full throttle attack on the family in this country, trying to dismantle the family, the nuclear family. Um, he's on a full court or full court press on trying to dismantle masculinity, traditional biblical masculinity and manhood. Um, so we've got to start fighting back against that. You know, we see it on the news constantly. Um, we've talked about our worthless politicians. They're all in favor with dismantling the family and, uh, traditional masculinity, but that's going to be what, uh, sets this nation right. If you want your children to be successful, a successful husband and wife is going to be the number one driver of that success. It's not education. It's not money. Right. It's a good family life with a mother and father mm-hmm. in the home. 
Um, so don't buy into these lies that, you know, you hear spewed on the news and in college campuses around the world that somehow masculinity is evil. Um, you know, that husbands and wives, men and women are the same thing. They're not, they have very different roles. So be okay with that. Have this talk with your spouse. You know, if you're not living a godly marriage right now, it's never too late to turn around. It's never too late to fix it. Um, never too late to repent, have things set right. And uh, yep, there's you know, hope. Your family will, will be better for it, but our country and our world will be better for it. So that is all we got for you guys today. We will see you on Monday with another devotional. And then I got a topic that is itching to get out of me next Saturday. Uh, it's going to be pretty good, hopefully. So we'll see you guys then. God bless.